good afternoon. It's good to be with you today. Today I will be sharing you my story of how God has led me. And I don't know for you, but for me, when I listen to presentations, I have found that some of the most effective and memorable ways that presentations are done is through the medium of story. So today I want to ask you to sit back, relax, and enjoy. It's story time. Believe it or not, it's story time. Now, in the venue of story time, I hope you'll come across some new facts or enlightening facts. But anyway, sit back, it's story time. I'm going to start out with a, with a topic that seems unrelated to harnessing the power of the church. But in actuality, it's critical and it's vital. And that is, how are we as physicians and dentists, how are we in our homes? Are we the priests of our home? Are we the priests of the family? Are, is our family uh, a well-ordered family after God's order? And you say, well, why does this matter? What difference does it make? And my challenge to you, or, or my, my testimony to you, is if we're not effective missionaries at home, if we're not rearing our family after God's order, <coughs> we're going to have a really hard time beyond that. And what's more, it's even biblical. 1 Timothy 3.12, you know it well, talking about deacons and how deacons should be, you know, husband of one wife and have a family that's, that follows God. So in, uh, before I start my story, actually, I want you to know that this actually had been happening. We had been introduced to an uh, independent ministry you may or may not have heard of at Restoration International, um, Tom Waters uh, and group. And that, that group has had an influence on our family and has helped to direct us in the way that we should go. So I want you to know before we start out, family really has to be first and, and, and foremost. After that comes the majority of what I'm going to be talking about today. So in uh, September of 2000, I moved to Klamath Falls, actually. And I moved there for several reasons. Among them was a part-time job. And I feel that as physicians, we work 12 and 14 hours a day, and it's hard to be, have an influence in our family. So as part of the reason I moved to Klamath was because I did have a part-time position lined up for myself there. So as soon after moving to Klamath Falls, I uh, took a half day off work, and I went to a career workshop. Yes, you heard me correctly, a career workshop. My level, my satisfaction with, with medicine was less than zero. It just wasn't there. I wasn't happy with what it was. And so I went to career workshop to investigate other options, look at other opportunities. How else could I do? What else could I do? Could I retrain? Could I go through engineering school? Could I do something else? And I, I went through that career workshop and uh, completed it all, got my scores, you know, went home. And for the next several months, and I don't know how long, I begged God to let me out of medicine. I says, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. This is not what's for me. And uh, that went on for quite a while. And finally, I understood God to be saying, no, I want you in medicine. And so I said, oh, I got some decisions to make here. Either I follow God or I don't follow God. You know, that's kind of how it works. So I said, <laughs> I said, wow, this is a lot of right. <laughs> I said, OK, God, 
I'm not sure you know what you're talking about. I don't see how this will make me happiest, but I think you know how to make me happier than I know how to make me happier. I will stay in medicine. So I decided to stay in medicine and I went on not particularly enjoying my job. And I don't know, have you ever noticed when you're in personal growth, when you're trying to grow personally, the obvious is anything but obvious? I mean, that's how it was for me. I say, you know, the obvious question is, if God wants me in medicine, obviously he's got something he wants me to do, right? Well, I came to that conclusion four or five years later. You know, took a while. The obvious is not so obvious. I, I've come to believe that I think I have a titanium-plated uh, skull. It, it's hard for God to get through to me. So this uh, brings us to year 2005. Friends invited us to go to ASI. We declined. Uh, more friends invited us to ASI. Uh, we ex prayed about it and accepted and went. In retrospect, that turned out to be a life-changing event for me. And the reason was I got reintroduced and rechallenged to study some of the principles of medical evangelism. So I did. I went home and I started studying and I started studying and I started studying. And there's a lot there and a lot that I should have known and should have been taught long ago. And I would like to share some of those with you at, at this point. And as I'm going through, I'm also going to tell you stories of, uh, of how this can apply and, and, and to illustrate the particular principles. One principle of medical evangelism is a basic principle, a principle of all Christianity, to reveal God's love. Plain and simple, we should be showing God's love to all of those around us all of the time. And I think I included it in your handout, the quote from um, Medical Ministry. The object of our mission is the same as the object of Christ's mission. Why did God send his son to the fallen world? To make known and to demonstrate to mankind his love for them. So that's one primary, one key principle of medical evangelism. I'd like to tell you the story of Jane. Jane came to me as a patient who had been fired from another practice. Why had she been fired? Violation of a narcotics contract. Most of you who are physicians know that that's not the first type of patient you want. As a matter of fact, it's kind of the last kind of patient you want. You'd kind of dread it. Oh no, what am I going to do with this? What's more, Jane was usually crying when she came in, didn't make matters any better. And uh, so this was a difficult situation from the startup. But I had learned in my practice to try to give these folks a second chance. So I said, okay, I'm going to give Jane a second chance. And as time progressed, she proceeded to be exactly who she was. She, she wasn't an abuser of narcotics, that I found out. She was frequently tearful, down, hard to work with, you know, less than the ideal, cheerful, happy patient. And unfortunately, I had some negative feelings because this was a challenging patient. It's not how it should be, but that's the honest truth. Well, one day, Jane came to me and she gave me a rosary. You see, Jane was Catholic. She gave me her father's rosary as a token of her appreciation to me. And I'm like, wow, why, why is this here? What, what, what am I going to do with this, you know? Another time, Jane came in to me, and Jane said, you know, Dr. Heidinger, you have done more for me than any other doctor. And I was really taken back, because I knew how I felt. This is not my favorite. This is not the one. 
I knew that, and I'm like, where is this coming from? Well, I kind of composed myself and managed to stammer out, and, and, and why is that? And the answer was, it seems like you care. Pure and simple, it seems like you care. So somehow God covered up my negative feelings, and she saw beyond that and saw something else. And she gave me that compliment, gave God that compliment, actually. So after that, actually, things progressed a little bit more. And I had the, an opportunity, actually, to talk with Jane about spiritual things. And in fact, I had the opportunity to invite her to come to Bible studies, which she did. She came. But, you know, the devil, devil works hard. He doesn't give up easy. And she was Catholic, and her family started exerting a lot of pressure on her. And finally, she quit. She, did, she quit coming to Bible studies. And in fact, the story does not have a great ending like I would like to think it does. <laughs> at, at some point in time, she actually left me, not because she was upset with me, but she felt uncomfortable with an aspect or two. And so she actually uh, found another physician. But the, 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 the point that I want to make is, if we just demonstrate care, if we show God to our patients, that is one primary principle of medical evangelism. Principle number two that I want to mention today is education. Part of medical evangelism is education. Um, and I quoted medical ministry again. We must educate, educate, educate pleasantly and intelligently. We must preach the truth, pray the truth, and live the truth. I want to tell you a story now. I'm jumping ahead a bit, but to illustrate this point, I want to, I want to tell you something that's exciting for me. Um, currently in my practice, um, I'm not doing much education. Let's just be honest. That's a hard thing to do. We are working that direction, and I want to share with you briefly in what way. Again, I see it as providential, although it hasn't come to fruition, so I can't, uh, I can't tell you the, the end result. I had a patient come in to me who was an elderly patient, and in came another person with her. And that other person was actually directing the majority of the conversation and whatnot. So I finally said, well, who are you? Well, as it turned out, she was involved in parish nursing, and she was doing parish nursing for her church members. And I talked with her and discussed with her a little bit, and I finally said, you know, I'm challenged by how you could make this as an outreach tool instead of just for your church. And as we talked a little bit more, she said, you know, others wanted me to do this too. There's grant monies out there for this. She says, in fact, I had a group telling me, begging me to ask for grant money. I should ask for no less than 250000 half a million, one million, no problem. Please ask. We have the money ready and waiting. Well, that tickled my brain a little. I said, wow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I could do something with some money like that. And so as I thought about it and prayed about it, I decided maybe I should write for, ask for a grant. So... I found out that one of my patients was a grant writer, and he had written a half-million grant for youth work in our town himself. He's a Christian, non-Adventist. And um, he said, yeah, I'd be happy to write a grant for you. I, I said, do you have time? Absolutely, I will make time. I want this to happen. Non-Adventist, I want this to happen. So then he says, you need a nonprofit." Well, his brother works for Jeldwin, and most of you aren't in Klamath, so you don't know. Jeldwin is a multi-kazillion door and window company, international, owns banks, resorts, uh, you name it, it's got it. I mean, a very well-off company. 
and his brother worked for Geldwin as a tax consultant, international tax consultant. He said, he'll, write to, he'll, he'll form a nonprofit for you. Well, now, all of you know, nonprofits are hard to do. I said to him, how much would this cost if your brother wasn't donating this? Oh, 10 or 15,000. I said, well, why does he want to do that? He says, he believes in this. He wants this to happen too. So our concept at this point to, to incorporate education is my receptionist, all of 18 years old, has had, a, has had a passion and a desire to do restaurant type work where, where vegetarian and vegan cooking and this type of thing is demonstrated. And in the process of doing that, using it as an outreach tool to educate people on nutrition and hopefully to incorporate the spiritual in with it. She has fo uh, friends who have been to you know, Arise and AFCO and these type of places and who are anxious to participate in that. So that's in the future. I, I don't know if we'll actually get the grant, but it's exciting for me to think about it. And I'm thinking I'm seeing some providential working leading up to this point in time. Principle number three. A third principle of medical evangelism is combining the work of both pastor and physician. You know, we do poorly at that. Matter of fact, we do very poorly at that. And uh, I fault us for that, actually. I think that's, that's a problem that we have. We should do better about that. Um, it's not for lack of understanding, though. Uh, again, the quote is, in, um, in fact, is stated, in no case is the work to be separated. That's a quote from Ellen White. She, she, she makes the analogy that pastors and physicians, as we've already referenced, should be as closely connected as the arm is to the body. And I want to share with you some of the things that the, how, how the church and I have, have worked together. And I'm going to be vulnerable and upfront with you and share with you some things that really haven't worked and some things actually that, that, seemed, that, that, that we have done. One thing I did is I thought we could do deeds of kindness, acts of service to, for the community at large. So I went through and we did surveys for all the church members and said, church members, where are your skills? What could you do? And the church members responded. They filled out things. But as I looked and found out, my contact with the patients was in a, such a venue, such an avenue, that most of what I felt like they needed was you know, counseling and in-depth counseling because you're working with the, the, the battered and the bruised and the, and the raped and the, you know, the difficult cases. And you can't ask church members to do, do that type of counseling. So that part actually has not worked as well, though it has not been entirely unsuccessful. We have done some things like build a wheelchair ramp and a few things like that. And the patients are extremely appreciative when that happens. One thing that I did was I also formed a steering committee to help guide me in this process, and I invited some of the pastors, uh, one a retired pastor and the pastor of the church to be on that, as well as one or two others. And one of the pastors talked about anointings, and I don't know if any of you have been involved with anointings, but I want to share with you that this is a biblical um, concept and God responds in marvelous ways. One of my patients, I'll call her Sally. Sally has severe spinal stenosis and SIDH and, uh, with um, hyponatremia. And I had her in the hospital frequently for the hyponatremia, consulted everything, very difficult to manage. At times her sodium was, uh, you know, in the 115 range, um, you know, the concerning stuff. 
And uh, along with that, she has the severe spinal stenosis and a lot of pain. And I was at my wit's end. I had nothing else to offer. Other physicians, other specialists were struggling with this as well, and I suggested to her an anointing. Well, Sally, as a Christian, said, yes, I would like that. So she came. I invited the pastors and, and some of the elders, and we had an anointing service for her. Now, I wish I knew and could understand when and why God chooses to heal what. I don't understand that. In this case, I can honestly tell you, since that anointing service, I have never seen her sodium below 127, generally over 130, to the point where I was checking it every two weeks. I haven't checked it in months at this point. The best I can say is God performed a miracle. God healed her. Now, we also prayed for healing for her severe back pain and spinal stenosis. Not a change. Nothing happened there. And I don't understand that. But I have to leave some things up to, up to God. Another story about anointings is my nurse, and I'm going to tell you, tell you a little bit later on in the presentation how I happened to choose my nurse, but as she worked for me, um, she was getting stressed. She was transitioning from dental assistant to medical assistant for me, and both of us underestimated the size of that transition, to be honest. It is a sizable transition, and so... Um, she was getting more and more stressed. She started breaking out in a rash. She actually started asking me to fire her. She wasn't willing to quit on her home, but she wanted me to fire her. And I sat down and talked with her on two or three occasions. Um, nothing seemed to happen. And I finally said, her name is Jan, and I can share with you her real name. Her name is Jan. I said, Jan, maybe you should consider an anointing. Now, Jan has a difficult, troubled past in the sense that she's had an alcoholic father background and all that comes with that. And she liked the idea, and she jumped, and I was thinking we would arrange something. She went to her church, to her pastors, and arranged an anointing, like post-haste, one, two days, done. I'm telling you, Jan continues to be a different person in my office. Rashes are gone, stress is gone, much more relaxed, much more, just a completely changed person as a result of an anointing. A third person is one that uh, is a patient who will call, what should we call her? Becky. We'll call her Becky. Becky, I've been working with for six, eight years, highly dysfunctional person, not a dumb person, but quite dysfunctional. And uh, when I transitioned away from my practice, which you'll hear about later on, um, she finally decided to come with me, but she waffled back and forth. And she also has issues of pain, um, sphincter of stenosis, uh, sphincter of Adi stenosis. Nobody seemed to know, the GIs couldn't, it was just another, no one seems to be able to help type thing. So I suggested an anointing for her. And we got the pastors and the elders together, and she came to the anointing. Again, her pain is not gone. The pain did not go away. But a very different person, interested in spiritual things. I've been able to give her steps to Christ at this point. She read through it. She's starting to reread through it. So the, the concept of anointing, working with the pastors, I think is a valuable, strong concept and I would encourage you to consider that. I don't know all the times when that's appropriate or inappropriate. That's an ongoing question of mine, actually. But I have found it to be very useful for a number of, that I have worked with.
Another way that I'm working with the pastors is the pastors, are they come to my office. They'll have a weekly devotional for us. Um, they interact with us. I've had the pastors do some counseling for me. I don't know about you, but traditional counseling, I think, is a two-edged sword. It includes biblical and non-biblical principles, and I struggle with that, to be honest. So there are lots of different ways to work with the pastors and work with the church, and I have found them beneficial. I found them useful. I have found that to, to be a, a, a definite aid in the practice. Okay, principles number four and five. Principle number four is that medical uh, evangelism is to be a living example of righteousness by faith. And what I understand is that's the right arm of the gospel. And she says that, again, there's a quote here, Councils on Health, the medical missionary work is the gospel and illustration. So I, I reasoned myself, I asked myself, well, what is this gospel? How does this work? What happens? And, you know, the gospel, you know, the gospel is the good news. And God says, you know, come to me, believe on me, and I will change you. I'll make you a new person. You'll be healed. And so what we're supposed to do, my understanding of how this applies is, you know, John Doe comes in, he's got ulcers, you say, you know, stop doing this, do this, take these medications, and you see him back in, in a month and six weeks and he's all better. Now we're supposed to say, John Doe, if you will, in the same way that you trusted me, learn to trust God, you also experience healing from your sin and from your disease, your spiritual disease. I have found that challenging to put into place. I haven't... I question in my mind exactly how far do you push this? What should you exactly be promising? This type of thing. That has been a, a challenge for me even at this point. And then the last principle is one that is very exciting to me. And that is God is waiting and anxious to work marvelously among, the, uh, among us. You know, she says that we should lead the sick in our in institutions to expect large things. In another place, she says, there's a rich harvest. And so the questions that I have for you and that I have for myself is, how much do you promise your patients? Do you go to them and say, if you will do this, you'll be totally well? What am I doing? No, you're doing just right. I was just telling you how much time you have. I have nine minutes left? Yes. Well, yeah, that's not 40 minutes. <laughs> that's not 40 minutes. They started late. Oh. You, you, you actually have. Okay. <laughs> So that's another area that, I'm, that I struggle with that I'm not sure exactly how to, how to apply, and that is, you know, how much do you promise the patient? How, what kind of large things, what kind of rich harvest should we be expecting? All right, so that's some of the uh, principles of medical evangelism that I learned after 2005. Part three of my presentation to you is applying this medical evangelism to real life. And as I studied these principles, I began to learn, I began to almost fantasize in my mind, I began to start to understand things, and I started to realize the potential of a pastor-physician team. I started to realize I could have the pastors help out with counseling and, and things like that. I started to see the church actually as an extension of my office, because I can't personally help and meet all these patients' needs, but the church can help out dramatically in that. And I'm going to share with you I might not have time. There are ways that we can do that, and there are ways that that's happening even, even in Klamath Falls now. I began to see how a God-fearing receptionist 
can make a big difference. I've got to tell you another story. I told you this is story time. One of my patients is a retired police officer, foul-mouthed, cussing, swearing person. You get the idea. He came into my office, known me for a long time, came in early. He always comes in early. Well, we started out having devotions, uh, staff worship. So he comes in early, and he and I had talked about spiritual things, and he said, I want nothing to do with it. I said, okay, fine. I won't talk to you about it. I'll just stay away from that. But my receptionist didn't know about this kind of unspoken contract. So he comes in early one day, and he says, I'm here early, and my receptionist says, oh, we're just getting ready for worship. Would you like to come? And I about dropped my jaw when he came. He actually came. This anti-everything. So he comes in there. He's 6'3", six, 6'4", six, big guy. And he's nervous. Oh, what do I sit? What do I do? Do I take off my hat? What do I do? He's just as nervous as can be. We tell him, sit down, be at ease. We had worship. And I'm not the most observant person, but my staff are observant. After that worship, they notice some moisture around his eyes. So evidently, we impacted him. Now, again... Nothing's come of that, <laughs> you know. He told me for the next six visits, I want nothing to do with that stuff. So much so that we started thinking he really does want something to do with it because he, he kept bringing it up, not us. All right, so the point I want to make is that if we have staff that are Christian and outreach-oriented, we can make a big difference. We can make a difference when the physician himself may not be able to do anything. The staff can, can do things. My nurse frequently prays with folks and frequently uh, counsels with them, and, and they appreciate it. They appreciate it a lot. So I began to see that by following the principles of medical evangelism, everything in an office could be oriented toward outreach. You can actually do a lot for others. It's a privilege and it's a responsibility. And it's sad that few of us engage in it, actually. Well, as this happened, the conviction grew and grew in my heart that I needed to be a true, full-fledged medical evangelist. And that brings us to 2007, when one day I found myself telling my colleagues at work, effective one year, I quit. And I actually did not have anything lined up. I didn't know where I was going to go. And I, I'm going to speed along here because I think I'm running out of time. There's a whole story to, to, to that as well. Should, should I go ahead? <laughs> OK. Um, you, you know, the, the, Phil's telling me, go ahead. So I'll go ahead. Have any of you ever struggled with presumption versus faith? Man, I struggle with that all the time. When is it presumption? When is it faith? And in this particular example, was it presumption to step out, not having a job lined up, not having and just say, I quit? Is that faith or is that presumption? I didn't know. I didn't know. And uh, I struggled and wrestled and prayed about it. And, and I was more and more sure that I needed to be doing this. I finally called, I referenced him, Tom Waters at Restoration. That man hears the Spirit's voice better than anybody I have ever met in my entire life. I have heard him preaching. This is an aside. I have heard him preaching, and he'll say, did you know that? And stop mid-sentence. Never mind. The Spirit told me not to say that. I have never, I wish I was that Spirit-directed. He is more Spirit-directed than anyone. So anyway, I called him, and I talked to him. 
And he said, well, there's nothing unbiblical un un here. That doesn't guide us, you know. You need a sign. Signs are biblical. Signs are, you know, you need a sign. So I went for a walk and I said, God, what shall I ask for? What sign? And I said, how about a dream? Now, I know in Western culture, dreams are not well thought of. But from a biblical perspective, dreams are a definite pronounced way, actually, in which God has communicated with mankind. So I prayed for a dream. No dream came. But what did come was the conviction grew stronger and stronger and stronger until I was assured, I was certain, that God wanted me to quit. So I did. I quit. That's the story of when I quit my, my practice. Well, after you quit your practice and you know you're not going play, you know something's going to happen, you have a lot of work ahead of you. Where am I going to practice? Who's going to be my staff? How is this going to work out? Where's the money coming from? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And any of you who have um, done that realize it's, there's some challenges involved. And I didn't want just any employee. I wanted employees that were outreach-oriented, that wanted to do medical evangelism. And I remember one morning, I don't know about you, but when I get stressed, unfortunately, I don't sleep. So one morning I woke up early, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. And I want to read to you just a small quote from, um, that I wrote in my journal. I'm not sure I have all the answers to my question above, but I am assured of one thing. The struggle, the unknown, the temptation to frustration, the lack of sleep, all are meant to drive me to Christ, to teach me to have faith, to strengthen my faith, to teach me how God leads. So despite it all, I choose to rest in Christ. And God had told me, I felt like God had told me to work with pastors. And I'm like, where do I work with pastors? How do I do this? Um, yeah, and here's another key principle. And this principle continues to guide me. And I'm going to pause for a minute and paint a problem. Uh, again, like the faith presumption issue. There's another problem that I face. And that is that God says we're supposed to do all in our power. Do everything that you can to get accomplished what you need accomplished. Do whatever you can. And then at the same time, we're supposed to rely entirely on God. We're supposed to depend completely. And I'm like, this is a difficult dynamic. How do I do this? What do I do? And I'm sitting here trying to decide where I should work. Where is the pastor? I wrote proposals to pastors. I wrote proposals to churches. Everything was turned down. I did that for about two years, actually. I mean, everything was turned down. Nothing happened. And it was frustrating, to be honest. Now, should we be frustrated when we're working with God? No, we shouldn't be. Growth is happening. Growth, I'm learning. And out of all of this, I can honestly say I learned a ton. I learned a lot about how to work with God. This dynamic of doing everything in your power and then depending on God for the rest. That process was kind of forced upon me. And out of that, I've learned and I continue to rely on that and to experience that. So as you, if you choose to step out in faith, God will teach you stuff. It's hard work to grow when you're old, but God will teach you stuff. Let's see. Okay. Five minutes. I can do that. <laughs> I need to tell you one story about my staff. I was dead set on hiring Adventists. I don't know if I have any non-Adventists here, but that's okay. 
I was dead set in my mind on hiring Adventists. And I wanted that. I thought that's how it should be, everything. One day, an elderly patient of mine came in with her caretaker. Now, I'd met this caretaker once or twice before. Seemed like a nice, compassionate person, and that was that. But what I didn't know is that this caretaker had felt like God had promised her that she would work for me one day. Now, she's this dental assistant. I knew nothing about her. I didn't know she was a dental assistant. I didn't know anything about it. And, and this had been wrestling around in her brain for a number of weeks and months. And I'm at home praying for staff, and God has told her to work for me, and she thinks it's a ludicrous, far-fetched concept. And it is by human standards. It is absolutely far-fetched. So in she comes with this patient, and I had no idea of any of this. And my patient, who is elderly and dearly loved her as a caretaker, said to her, See, Jan, you ought to work for him. You're always trying to read the Bible to me. And I had just been talking to my patient about some spiritual things. That's why she had that. And I had no idea what to say. I said, what is it? Where is this going? And I finally said, well, do you need work? She said, yes, I do. I said, are you serious? Yes, I am. So I said, we talked a little bit more. And my patient said, well, should I leave? <laughs> and I said, no, 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 we're here for you. So I finished my interview, and we, I set up an, a time to meet with Jan, who is my now nurse. And I interviewed her. She had the spiritual outreach. She has a passion for working for souls. She has a passion to outreach. It's exactly what I've wanted and what I needed. She was not Adventist, and that bothered me. So I interviewed her. We prayed. She seemed to fit very well in every other respect. I went home and I said, God, what do you want me to do? I don't know what to do. This is not my idea. This is not, you know. And as I prayed, God kept telling me, the answer is in the sequence of events. You have your answer already. I've orchestrated this up to this point. I said, well, okay, fine. But I prayed some more. You know, that wasn't the answer I wanted, you know, <laughs> or I was looking for. And, and God reminded me of the vision that Peter had of the unclean animals, kill and eat. Remember that? And I understood I think God wants me to hire her. And so I did. I called her up and I offered her the job. And she has been a blessing to my practice, a real blessing. Very much on board, very much outre outreach oriented. And so I I'm thankful for God. You know, if we will but trust in God, take to God our problems, and look for his answers, God will lead us. God will direct us. I have seen it over and over and over again at this point. All right, I probably have three minutes left. Oh, I've got to share with you. I'll skip my practice today. You probably can get, a, get an idea of what it's like at this point. I do need to tell you one other thing. I have talked about working with pastors and how critical that, that is and, and how we need to do that. For the last eight years or so, I have been on the Oregon Executive Committee. I was asked to be on that, so I've been. And that involves time off work and running up six hours away to be sit in a committee all day long. And as I was learning these principles of medical evangelism, I tried to interest the conference in some of these things. And totally dead, nothing, no interest, no anything. Well, then we had a, about two years ago now, actually, we had a midterm breakout session. 
And we were supposed to you know, assess the goals of the conference. Where were we going? What, what should we do? What have we accomplished? What should we be accomplishing? And at that, about 50% of the executive committee felt like the conference should be doing toward, more toward medical evangelism. And I was very taken back by that. I said, I tried to interest them. Nothing happens. And now they're saying that. So I said, fine. I went and talked to administration and said, you know, I have an interest in this. I've, I'm, I'm trying to do this. I, I would like to be involved in something like this. They said, okay, we'll talk to you. Well, as it turns out, um, that has culminated at this point to early this week. In fact, on Monday this week, I had a phone conversation with the conference president, the conference vice president, and myself. And in the next few weeks, we're going to be meeting with the CEO of AMC, Portland, otherwise previously Portland Adventist Medical Center. And we are in the process of designing a, um, a retreat or an event or, or a training session. I'm not sure how you want to call it. But attempting to, again, unite pastors and physicians together so that they work, can work together and so that we can actually um, finish this job that we got to do. I know that the pastors are interested in this, and I, know pa and I suspect pastors nationwide are. As I was working on this and prior to this about a year ago, year and a half ago, you know, there's no venue that brings all Adventist physicians together. That's, that's not it. But there are venues that bring Adventist pastors together. The conference says, you come. And so they do come. So I asked to present at a pastor's retreat, which I've never been to a pastor's retreat before. And they, they allowed me. They gave me 20 minutes. And I went and presented at the pastor's retreat. And I had been told, you know, expect, you know, a poor response. Few will be interested, et cetera, et cetera. I relayed to them, I shared with them my testimony and how I felt God was leading. And there was almost a standing ovation. The whole 150 Oregon Conference pastors were very interested. I sat down, but they were asking so many questions, I was soon standing up answering questions. And it was out of that the pastors said, yes, we would like a venue where we can meet and work with physicians. So I'm here to tell you that the Oregon conference pastors are very interested in working with their physicians. And I'm going to leave you with an appeal or a challenge. And that is, I would challenge you to seek God and ask God where he wants you to go. But I would further challenge you to work with your church. Could it be that your pastor in your church wants to work with you and maybe doesn't know it or doesn't know how to? Could it be that you could maybe woo or court your pastor if you would and that he would respond? I suspect they would be more than happy to work with you. And so the challenge I would leave with you is consider, re reopen that venue in your brain. Consider opening a conversation up with your pastor. Say, hey, I'd like to work with you. I think you'll find that it's a that there's a blessing there for both you and the church, and that we can add souls to the kingdom. I really appreciated his testimony. He didn't tell you the reason why he quit was because of his conviction on being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And, uh, and that spoke to my heart, and I've made that same commitment, and that's why I won't be in Oregon. Uh, come November 17. Um, but I also found my pastor there in Grants Pass wonderful to work with. 
And uh, so it's been a wonderful experience. Well, we are very fortunate that the General Conference has sent a representative for us. Uh, he, w he was unable to be a part of a seminar this morning. He's here for a seminar this, uh, this afternoon, and he will be sharing with our entire group this evening. But Dr. Landless is a man that has been committed to church-led, physician-implementing uh, evangelistic efforts. Um, he has, in his own church, um, <coughs> prior to coming to the General Conference, he was very effective in soul winning. And uh, so I was appreciative. We tried to get him last year, but uh, there were uh, complications on my part. I failed to uh, send him a follow-up notice, which he was waiting for. So I apologize for that, uh, Dr. Landless. But we are grateful that you're here to share from the, the, uh, your wider perspective of physicians and uh, uh, local church and working together. Thank you so much. What a privilege to be with you. And I almost feel um, that it's uh, inappropriate to use PowerPoints because we've been pointed to the power. And that's really far more important. When the first projector didn't work, and I firstly want to thank you for the invitation, it's an absolute privilege to be with you. And as I sat listening to the little portion of the morning meeting and to this first part of this meeting, I thought this is just where I need to be. Um, the blended ministry has been a passion with me since I was a medical student. And uh, the Lord is blessed and I've had the privilege of working in the clinical setting as a blended minister for, um, well, I was ordained in 1980 to the gospel ministry. And uh, there's something important about that in my life, not the ordination per se, but when you accept it, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. But you don't have to have the physical act of ordination, and I so enjoyed the stories that you've shared with us because real life experiences are what really count. And I've changed. While we were listening to the first presentation, I've changed the way we're going to do the second one. We're going to use a little bit of the PowerPoint a little later. But I want to tell you a story too. And that story has been brewing over the last several months. And the church that I attend is a very large church, 2,000 plus members. Uh, you know, they joke about it and call it the Vatican of the General Conference, a Spensable Church, because the president goes there and a number of other people go there. And uh, we, we have a wonderful church, a beautiful pipe organ, the choir, the whole nine yards, building a wonderful multi-million academy that's just being started now. What a privilege. And yet, it worries me that if that church were to be wiped off the map, would the community notice? We have people working in our AIDS ministry in Africa. Dr. Giordano comes from Argentina, was converted there. Um, went back, in fact, to the town where he was born, and asked, is there a Seventh-day Adventist church in this town? 
They said, yes, there is. There's a new one. He said, well, I need to go and get to see it. He went to the, church, to the square and was given the address as to where it was going to be and uh, asked around and, no, and nobody knew where the church was. And he stopped at a little store and he said, is there a church here on the square? And the man stood and thought a while. He said, oh, yes, that church. He said, there's a, there's a house across the road and every Saturday morning people come they sing and they go. <laughs> they come and they sing and they go. So, over the last several months, my church board has been saying, you know, would you, would you be interested in doing health ministries? <laughs> so that's what I do. That's my living. That's my work. That's my calling. But I'm very seldom here. I don't know that I can undertake it. And then I started to get the impression that you've been talking about, Wendell, that it became more and more overwhelming. If we're going to mo model this, we'd better do it. What's the point of doing it around the world, preaching it, teaching it, and not doing it physically? And so a colleague of mine, who's the dean of the School of Medicine at the University of Maryland, and myself got together because he'd also had the same impression. And the two of us, fairly busy people, like you all are, got together and decided to do a pro forma plan for health ministries for this church. And then we said we need to sit and meet with the pastor who's a wonderful man, a great preacher, a great leader, a manager, an executive. He's, you know, he's one of these typical ranching pastors. He's a great, caring individual as well, but he knows just how to get the church going. He's been there for 12 years. Says something about him. We sat down after church two Sabbaths ago, and I'd drawn up a program. And I thought, I wonder how he's going to respond. And his response was, I've been waiting for this church to be led into a health ministry. And what did we share with him? We shared with him celebrations. Now what is celebrations? It's the eight natural principles with the addition of the C for choices, the S for social support, the I for integrity, because when we share evidence and information, we should have integrity about what we're sharing. O for optimism. Have you met the angry vegetarian? <laughs> I grew up with them. I didn't grow up a vegetarian. I became a vegetarian. Of those who would do, as Martin Weber calls it, the pantry parade and patrol and check your, your shopping basket to see what are you eating. And worse still, you watch as you stand in the cafeteria lines here. There's beautiful food here, but people can see what kind of a Christian you are because of what you put in your plate. Is that right? <laughs> Not really. And don't say that I said that that's the way we judge it because we are not judges. However, exercise, environment, liquids, belief, rest. How many of you are rested today. I'm not. I need it. But I'm not. Air, as I, you know, you must forgive me, I'm new to this country. 
reasonably. And I'm very new to this area. And as, as the plane came in, I thought, wow, what beauty. And as I drove, and I, you know, they, they were getting irritated with me because I was doing 45 miles an hour. I was just looking at, the, at all the trees and everything, and I was just loving it. What beauty. The environment. Rest. Fresh air. Tea. Temperance. Does the church where you, as a health professional, work know the word temperance? Do they? Do you know what the temperance pledge is? Ellen White says the true definition of temperance is the judicious use of those things which are good and the avoidance of all things harmful. And so you can have too much rest. You can have too much water even, believe it or not. You know that as physicians. And so you'll see there's a little overview of, of some of the issues related to what we can use. You know, the world is talking about our longevity. They're coming back and suddenly in the church we are saying, you know, this is, this is discrimination. One minute, four, seven. We have an opportunity where the world is talking to us and wanting to. In, the, in Geneva, we recently had the experience where they said, you Seventh-day Adventists have something to offer. And we as physicians have something to offer in our church. Now, I'm going to ask somebody to jump to their feet or some two or three and each one of you can take a CD of resources to use in your church. One is the celebrations. One is a charters program where you can run a program teaching your community about various diseases from cancer, heart disease, um, addictions, women's disease, diabetes. And run it as a program over a year in your church. And then there's the basic approach to health as the foundation of understanding what med medical issues are all about. We've used this wise, widely throughout the world as part of an MA program for pastors working with the ministers. And once they've been through this program, you have no difficulty in their understanding what it's about because physiology is where it's at. Thank you for your time. If there's time in questions, I'd love to speak to you more. Oh, you want this? I can't have it, no one can. <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, um, we have, uh, we really appreciate what the General Conference is doing, the resources uh, for us, and uh, for them to provide this uh, CD. And uh, is there any more? Has, uh, I want a CD if possible. Um, now, our next presenter is Dr. Chu, and this is uh, not on, uh, on uh, the importance of digestion, but on uh, the importance of working with the conference in church planting. I talked to Dr. Chu this first time I've met him, but I talked to him on the phone and I was very stimulated, just like with Dr. Heidinger, on what the Lord has done with him in planting a church and uh, he's consented to share with us 
um, how working with the conference made this all possible. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm really pleased to be here, and I've been tremendously blessed so far. Um, and uh, just being in this wonderful environment just rejuvenates you and uh, gives you a sense of balance. I went to this lecture just now. <laughs> um, I'm not going to talk too much uh, this time uh, because uh, I'm saving most of it uh, later in this evening. I still have time this evening. <laughs> I'll be giving a talk this evening. Um, I, uh, I would like to just um, give you a, a little bit of uh, my experience in um, working in the Southern California Conference. Um, I graduated from Loma Linda University um, in 1990, School of Medicine, um, and then uh, went on to finish internal medicine and spent uh, three and a half years in China as a missionary and then returned back to uh, uh, Loma Linda to finish three years of uh, cardiology fellowship and then went on to do another year of interventional fellowship. So gone through a lot and spent a lot of time in school. Um, I'll be sharing some of that experience this evening, so I won't take up too much of the time for uh, the speakers here. Um, after I finished um, my interventional year, uh, in fact, the last year of my training was done at uh, University of Massachusetts in Worcester. Uh, it looks just like this, <laughs> except except there's only about three or four weeks of this and then snow the rest of the year. <laughs> uh, I spent most of my time in California. It was the first time I went there. And after the training, uh, I was praying to the Lord uh, to show me where he wanted me to go. And all through my life, the Lord has led me. Um, I, I'm not a really willing uh, person to be led, but nevertheless, I... I prayed, and, and the God, God always have a way to lead me. Uh, and sometimes it, it's, a, it's a struggle. It's a real struggle to, to know the Lord's will. Um, but the Lord is very good at uh, shutting doors. This I have experience. Um, if He doesn't want you to do certain things, and if you really pray about it, and, and you know, he, he would close that door so that you know you would go to another direction. So my experience is that I have uh, gone through so many hurdles and so many tests and exams and I counted as about 27 years of uh, schooling <laughs> and you know through that, that, ex that experience you sort of like learn to go through each crisis uh, after crisis and although that's not the best way to, to learn, but um, it is part of what we are as physicians. We go through a lot of crisis during our, our lives. And through that, um, I learned to trust the Lord, that he will open ways and close ways um, to lead me to the right place. So here I was. Um, because of my experience uh, in, in China, um, I wanted to serve a community where there is Chinese-speaking uh, patients, population. And we very much enjoy um, the communities in uh, Southern California where there's beginning to have an influx of uh, Chinese immigrants. Um, since we cannot be China physically, 
because of our children, they're getting education. So we thought that, that, that that's the closest place where uh, we could serve the Chinese community um, in the United States. Um, I was sent to a Chinese school when I was young in Singapore. So I learned the Chinese language. And so that is one talent that the Lord has given me. So I, I wanted to make full use of it uh, to incorporate with, with medicine. So we prayed when we were still at Worcester about where the Lord would lead me. Um, I said, I know there's this area here um, in Southern California, right between Loma Linda and LA. Uh, it's called the Hacienda Heights, Roland Heights, and Diamond Bar. If, if you guys are from there, you would know what I mean. There is a lot of uh, new Chinese immigrants that are moving towards that part. Um, in the early, maybe 50s, 60s, you know, the first wave of Chinese immigrants would um, move into Los Angeles. There's a Chinatown there. And then in the 80s, there was another wave of immigration from Taiwan and Hong Kong. And they go into Alhambra and uh, Monterey Park area. So we were able to establish a Chinese church, uh, one of the earliest Chinese Adventist church in Alhambra. It has just celebrated its 45th anniversary um, in that, that locality. And then the next Chinese church that was established was in Loma Linda, because there are a lot of Chinese students, you know, physicians who graduated from Loma Linda decided to stay there. So uh, a church was there, and they celebrated their 25, 25th year anniversary. And so in the last 25 years, that, that's it. There's no more Chinese churches set up in um, Southern California where the population of the Chinese are growing uh, tremendously, especially recently. So um, I chose this location right between Loma Linda and LA. Uh, it's, uh, it's called Hacienda Heights. Uh, there is well-established English churches, Spanish-speaking churches, and the demographics has been changing also. Um, they're seeing more Hispanic population and more uh, multicultural uh, members. So the dynamics in that area is also changing. So um, I move over there. We, we move back here. I join a practice, another physician, um, and uh, was doing very well. And still praying to God, you know, for the purpose of him allowing us to be there. Because before we went, moved back, I did pray a prayer that, God, if you don't think I should go back, you know, please do not let me get this job. Um, he allowed it, so we moved back. So we st were still praying. And soon after, um, a, uh, my pastor, we were attending the Loma Linda Chinese Church at the time, my pastor was telling me, um, let's do some outreach. Um, you know, we need to expand the Chinese church because uh, we've been here so long and this is all we have. And he says, let's start in, in Riverside, uh, the La Sierra University, um, because we have free classrooms and there are students, faculty, we can use the facility. So I was thinking to myself, Pastor, it, it doesn't make sense. I said, that's not where the Chinese people are. That's where the Adventist students are. You want to start an outreach church. You know, that's not the, 
right location. I, I told him, why don't you uh, start a church in Hacienda Heights, where I am? Well, he says, well, that's not really my territory. I'm the Southeastern Conference. <laughs> I said, there's territories? You know, this is the first time I became aware of that, wow, we have conferences and then there's territories, there's zoning. This is not my zone. <laughs> this, is, this is somebody else's zone. So I thought to myself, that's strange. But, you know, that day when I drove home from church, um, that question kept resonating in my mind. Yeah, why don't we start a church in Hacienda Heights where I practice? And it came, became louder and louder and louder. And to a point, I says, oh, I see. I mean, I was, God was using my own voice to speak to myself. I said, the pastor works in that conference. He can't come over here. And I say, okay. And I have to think of some other way. Then there's the Southern California Conference, who they are the jurisdiction. Uh, this, this area belongs to them. Um, and I don't know any of the you know, conference people. And uh, they, they've been there for, for a long time. And I was looking at the statistics on the website. The whole Southern California Conference in the last, I don't know, five to 10 years, the uh, membership has been declining. I mean, steadily declining. Say, wow, <laughs> it's a real challenge uh, in California. And some of the conferences there, I, I said, what's going on? So um, after that thought came to my mind about uh, starting a church, uh, the Lord brought a few other people uh, who has been thinking about this together. And uh, we, he put us together in a meeting. And I met several individuals who has been actually trying to start an outreach program in that area for more than 10 years. I just realized. So we worked together and we started with a, um, a, prayer, a prayer group and a, um, a small prayer group after Sabbath afternoon, uh, meeting in uh, someone's house. One of the, uh, he's a pharmacist. You can, his name is Kin Singh. Um, and he and his wife has been living there for a long time. And they wanted to start something going here. So a group of us, about 10 of us, uh, we met and prayed for about six months to ask the, the Lord, what are we going to do? There's only a few of us uh, in this area, and we see so many Chinese people that need to hear the gospel. So we pray and pray, and, and, and then we found another friend of mine who is a urologist who has been in practice for a long time. And he also joined the group. And he says, we, got, we, we, we need pastors to start a church. I mean, we are doctors. You know, we work um, 60, 70 hours a week. We, we can't do this by ourselves. We, we need to have pa a pastor to start a church. Because in the previous attempts, they try to have the doctors go in there to do these evangelistic, health evangelistic meetings, give flu shots, give health talks. What will happen is people will come, listen, take the flu shot, and it will be gone. And there's no staying power. And, and, and doctors uh, can't be there all the time, every day. You know, we, we spend the weekends, you know, give some talks, but then, then nothing really got organized. So we said, if we're going to start a church, we're going to need a pastor, preferably two pastors. And so we went to the conference and we asked, uh, how do we get a pastor? He says, well, um, usually we, we, we need you to have a company. A company. The, the church organization is, is, 
is stepwise. You first form a fellowship. That's the lowest group, okay? And then you, if you have enough tithe and enough members, you, you can be organized into a company. And then if you have more tithe and more members, then, then you can be organized into a church. So, wow, I never learned any of this stuff in medical school. And uh, beginning to understand this is how the church works. Then I said, well, if we don't have a pastor, how do we have members and tithe? And it says, <laughs> well, that, nobody can really answer that question for us. So I'm going to say, well, we, 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 we're going we're to need a pastor because it's like a chicken and egg. You know, if you don't have a pastor, then you, don't, you can't have members. Um, so we, we set out in faith um, to, to search for a pastor. Um, there are, and, and the Lord answered our prayer. And we found a, a, uh, a, a really vibrant, great pastor. Um, you know, the bilingual pastors are almost like extinct animals these days. Because I sat on the uh, Loma Linda Chinese Church Board on a search committee. For one whole year, we were trying to find a bilingual pastor to, to pastor that church that has been there for 25 years. And we couldn't find one for a whole year until finally we had to invite the, the current uh, Singapore pastor to, to, to come over. But here's Pastor Cho, who has been working three jobs in the uh, Hong Kong Chinese Union Conference. He's the treasurer, he's the president of the Greeks University, and, and he's been really burned out over there, um, working three jobs for the church, but getting one pay. And he... Uh, he came over to the U.S. to take a sabbatical, to be with his daughter for a short time. So we were able to get him to come on board and, uh, and then started to plant a church so in that area. So with the help of this new pastors, I, I started working with him in uh, 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 a referral system. Um, I would see a lot of patients, and, and then I would pick out those that seem inclined to spiritual matters. I said, I think you would, you would enjoy speaking to my pastor and, and, and you would really benefit from them. So I'll take down the names and numbers. I'll ask the patient if it's okay for my pastor to call him uh, or invite him. And, and if they agree, then I'll, I'll hand the names to the pastor. And, and Pastor Cho is a wonderful pastor. He would, he would visit this person within days you know, to uh, uh, sometimes even the first visit, he would bring fruits over there and just just show a lot of care and kindness um, to 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 bring the, the 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 patient to church. So I've been working with my pastor really closely on this uh, physician uh, pastor relationship, and praise God that um, after about three years, we have organized into a company. At that time, we had 100 members, exactly about one year, one year ago. And the amazing thing is that um, we just spoke to the conference leaders last week before I came, and they're going to organize us into a church uh, by January next year. And this is all within four years. Um, we, have, we have done a lot of uh, community programs uh, during these last four years, including the health lectures, marriage and family seminars and uh, evangelistic meetings. 
And I'll share more about that uh, later this evening. I'll share more pictures of it. So um, it could be done if uh, we catch the vision and, and give ourselves to the Lord. And I hope that uh, this testimony would uh, encourage everybody to, to serve the Lord. Thank you very much. The uh, frustrations that sometimes that come in uh, working with organizations are actually helpful to us. And God overrules all to accomplish, make us stronger, and to uh, advance his cause. And uh, his work will prosper. Um, I'm very happy that we also have a church planter, another church planter, in Kentucky. And uh, Dr. Naren James is going to be sharing with us his, uh, his experience uh, in working with his clinic to establish a church. Thank you, Phil. I think it's, it's been a work in progress, and so I'm kind of giving you an update of something I presented to the Amen Conference uh, at a second Amen Conference in 2006, yeah, three years ago. But basically, you know, this, this growth of our effort in, in the city of uh, Danville, Stanford, which is 40 miles south of Lexington, kind of parallels the formation of Amen in a way because I, I was, like many people, I was kind of like, uh, I hear the story over and over again. How long do I have? Nine minutes, okay, I gotta make this quick. So nine minutes, um, we'll get this really on a fast track. But basically, we were, you know, I was in, I was in a big church in Lexington. I, I was actually attending church in Lexington for five years and I, I, I started thinking through this whole, I started studying the scriptures, that was one thing, and I realized, hey, you know, I'm out there, I'm trying to be personal ministries leader 40 miles away, and here are my patients in my office walking through every day, and I had this dichotomy between church life and practice life, and so this is a story you've heard over and over again from many Amen members, so I basically decided to bring ministry closer to home and started seeing the patients as a focus, and also realizing that within my own area there is really just, uh, we don't have, we have a very small country church but otherwise not, we have a four-county area of probably 100,000 people that are not being impacted. And one of the reasons that, that took me to Kentucky to begin with, when I was finished my fellowship, I didn't know OB fellowship in Spokane, I was coming back this way. I made a decision to go to a place. I, I made the prime decision, what you call the, the um, criteria for going somewhere is where I can be most needed. And I saw this area as being, you know, uh, without a church and the opportunity to plant. So, so we started uh, praying and using the practice as, a, as a, getting literature into practice, praying with patients, and started brainstorming some more what other things we could do. And then about three years ago, we, um, we, we actually entered into an arrangement with the conference formally. My pastor fortunately had experience in Weimar. He had actually attended Weimar before he went to, to, uh, to ministry. And so he had a health ministry background, uh, Pastor Soler, so he is... He and I came to the area about the same time, so I approached him and I said, look, how about if you come into the office, we contract with the conference for your services and you become a part of our staff as a health educator, not as the pastor, he is the health educator when he's in our office. So, so we, we actually entered into an arrangement with the conference and we actually compensated a sum of money for his presence once a week. And so he came into the office and he offered health seminars. And also what was nice about it, I was able to get uh, people that needed uh, additional spiritual counseling beyond what I could do where I felt that the time needed was more than I could offer. They basically, I, I was able to refer them to him. I would just call him up on a cell phone and say, 
I have this lady, so and so. This. He, he was part of staff. He had signed the HIPAA arrangements. He was part of the whole thing. So he basically can be privy to all the information. And he understood all the rules governing that. So we did that uh, for at least, I think, a, a two years or so. And he also, we have two sites. He went to the other site and worked there as well. And it was a great opportunity for, for interaction for us to broaden our impact beyond the physician contact. And then after about a couple of years ago, uh, we started, we decided we're gonna, we also started having Bible study at a, at a local um, Holiday Inn, and then we moved to the Hampton Inn. Uh, we started that at a very, at the, about five years ago, but at the same time I started thinking of the practice of ministry. So we would invite people from the office to go to this Bible study. So it was another contact, how you, you engage and move from the office to a more spiritually directed setting. And uh, we, had, we had quite a few takers and that, we had people still coming out. And then after that, we decided, uh, well, two years ago, we decided to start having a church service once a week, one Sabbath, a I mean, once a month, one Sabbath a month, we decided to have a church service. And so initially, we started having that church service actually in our office, in the waiting room. And we did that for about six months. But our real goal is to plan, I'll show you the geography a little more. Our area where, I where the practice is in Stanford is about 11 miles from the city of Danville, which is a larger population of 15,000 people. Our community is about 3,500. But the drawing area is about 100,000, which hardly any Adventist presence. So we decided to, to move the, move the uh, church service over to the local inn, uh, their conference room, once, uh, once a month. And we did that for about a year. And then I'm pleased to report that, um, well, I should go back a little beyond and just also uh, just kind of mention some other ways that we, that we engage the church. We also had cooking classes. I had a registered nurse that worked in the, the church I attended there, that, that attended the church that I, that I also attended. And I invited her to come in and do cooking classes once, once a week. You know what I mean? So she basically got engaged with the church members. Then when we had a CHIP program recently, she had contacts with these people much stronger than I had, actually, because she would call them up. She would talk to them. She would find out how their health issues are. And when they had this CHIP program, she gathered people from within that contact to go to the CHIP program. And so these folks are, are now have had a, a much wider contact, more than I could do with the brief office visit contact I had. So we used those resources. Some of the lessons that I learned with those resources, we, we also I had, there were two people, this lady was a registered nurse, also, a lay, I have a lay, what you call them, um, person who had gone to a medical evangelist training in, in Tennessee somewhere, and I use her as well once or twice. And one thing I learned, that you have to be cautious when you use people in your office. You need to sit down with them and find out where they are in terms of traditional medical care versus there's a lot of outliers out there. And what I found with this lady, when I, when I, I, didn't, I learned that afterwards, I, didn't, I hadn't talked to her before until a patient came to me or so. Oh, by the way, she mentioned it, it, uh, this person you, that, I, that came to do the cooking class, and she mentioned to me that this drug and this drug is not a good idea. And I said, I had to sit down and have a conversation with her as to where the, you know, where the demarcation is in terms of the, you know, her role. And I, I'm just sharing that with you. These are some of the things I've kind of learned along as you go along the way. So we started meeting uh, this last uh, June. Our numbers grew enough, and we had enough uh, of a body that we actually establish our congregation in the city of Danville, we have a location that we have leased for the next year, and we are now meeting every week in the city of Danville. We actually have a mission group. This is what Dr. Chu was mentioning. I'm learning this as well. The way it works in a common setting, you have a mission group, then you get to a company, and then you get to a, a church. So we're basically at a mission group, so you're ahead of us on that. 
But basically, we, we have gone through, similar to what we did at AMN, this is strong physician leadership. Uh, Dr. Kim and I, Dr. Kim is a fellow Adventist physician and he's an internist. We work together very closely. And as a matter of fact, we have very limited pastoral support. Our pastor comes to us once a month. We pretty much operate everything in that church. We get our speaking schedule. And it's, uh, the pastor comes once a month and his, his, his uh, involvement is actually quite peripheral, except to come and speak with us. But we basically went through a process of developing our mission, our vision, our objectives. And we have put it clearly in our objectives that one of the key ways we plan to grow this church is through medical evangelism. And so that's an integral part. So this year, as I, as I sit with here, you here, I just want to share a little of what we have going forward into the future. And I look forward to the future Amen Conference to give a more comprehensive outlook of how this growth has been from a practice to developing it to coming to a church setting. Is that we are going to go, we are developing a calendar for next year in which we will have sewing, uh, an outreach based on medical evangelism and then have actual evangelist, evangelistic series, which we look forward to being an integral part of. And so by God's grace over next year, I hope to be able to speak about the souls that have come in as a result. But I want to give you an example of how it's uh, two, uh, just last week, well, two weeks ago, I was sitting down with some with a family who was visiting me from St. Louis to actually speak at our church. And in the midst of that, of that, um, of that meal and, and Friday evening, I got, a, I got a call on my cell phone and I, I picked it up, and it was actually Tina. Tina is a patient of mine. Tina has battled alcohol for years. Thank you. And Tina, basically, we have had this relationship over the years that she sees me more than beyond just her personal physician dealing with her physical needs because we take time to pray, share literature, share uh, pro, pro, uh, areas in the scripture relevant to her. And T Tina actually had also come to our very first opening day at our church, so she was familiar with our church. And Tina, Tina called me and she said, Dr. James, I have to speak to you. I need you to pray with me. She said, my mother's in the hospital. I'm having trouble with my sister. I desperately feel like I want to go and take a drink again after so many years. And it really touched me that Tina had taught about me more. I had trans, I had in some, in some way through that whole interaction, I have moved from being just her physician to being in a way her pastor. You know what I mean? She called me up and specifically said, Dr. James, if you'll only pray with me, I know I'll be okay. So I, I went off to, the, to my room and I had this word of prayer with Tina. And I continued to pray her throughout the night. And I told Tina, I said, you know, we're going to be having our church in Danville tomorrow. I just want to invite you to come out. And sure enough, that morning, I, I run a serendipity class at the back where I try to be more engaging with the people who come out. And I, sure enough, I'm there at 10 o'clock and Tina shows up at our church. And she came in, she was in my class and... That's, that's an example of how medical evangelism in the practice setting can transfer into the church setting. Dr. Don Latour is going to be sharing because he has, uh, he has hired a, uh, a chaplain. And how has that worked? And tell us about it. Well, Daniel, I, I know Hacienda Heights well. My wife, uh, Esther, grew up there, actually, just under where the big Buddha temple is uh, go going up now, or has gone up, I should say. And actually, her parents sold their house to a Chinese couple that uh, came into that area. So I, I, I really appreciated your testimony there. Well, any, anything that I'm going to present here today is totally borrowed, stolen, plagiarized, everything. I've just, I've just learned from everyone here at Amen. And um, stolen is probably not a good word to use, I guess. But um, 
you know, I, I first kind of had this idea introduced to me actually by John Chung. Most of you know him. He came up to uh, Michigan a few years ago, and we have a medical retreat that uh, the conference organizes there uh, at Camp Asabo every year. And um, he mentioned that he'd had a chaplain that was working in his office. And I just, it just totally kind of shocked me actually. It had never even entered into my mind remotely that uh, you could do something like that. But I just started kind of thinking about it a little bit and um, thought, yeah, you know, that's something that would be actually very easy to do. Um, so, you know, Phil sent me this nice little, it's nice to have organized friends, Phil. Uh, he gave me some ideas of things. I'm just going to read this just briefly, and I'm probably not going to hear any of these, but there's some questions in here that you probably ought to think about as you're considering doing chaplain. Harnessing the resources of the local church, good ideas that work, bad ideas that didn't work. Chaplains, advantages, disadvantages, costs, which costs is probably, if you're thinking about doing this, would be a big consideration for you. Working with a conference, compare and compare chaplain with Bible worker health benefits, etc. Well, when I thought about kind of the whole idea of doing this, um, I approached our conference, which was really what I would encourage you to be the first thing that you would do. And when I talked about this a couple years ago, briefly, I had a few people who maybe came and talked to me and kind of grumbled a little bit about, well, you know, our conference doesn't want to do this or our conference doesn't want to do that. But I'm not sure I completely buy that, you know. I don't know what your experiences have been with your conference. We have a great conference in Michigan, and maybe we're just extra fortunate. Um, but I still, what's that? You are. We are, okay. <clears throat> but I still think that a lot of times, rather than just grumbling, if you kind of maybe put your money where you want something to go, that a lot of times they're probably not going to say no to you. Um, and I don't know, and, and Pastor McIntosh, is that is there some truth to that or no? So you know, and I didn't really have to do any any arm twisting at all in our conference. Our pastor Jay Gallimore is very innovative, very interested in trying things, and especially, you know, if we were willing to fund it, that made it even better. So, you know, in our case, uh, and Phil kind of wanted me to try to get a little bit into the nitty-gritties of some of this, so, you know, in our case, we, I have funded this, our chaplain, we pay for uh, his salary, complete salary, benefit package and that, and there's a lot of ways you could do this. The way we chose to do this was actually to have him hired through the conference. And I don't know where Jerry was. I asked him to, he was going to come down, I think, but I guess he's maybe had another seminar. But um, he's, uh, he's currently attending here with us uh, at this seminar, Jerry Finneman. Some of you may know him. Um, and so he's actually hired officially as a pastor through the Michigan Conference. And uh, we have an office for him in our office. If we have patients that come in throughout the day, that needs someone to pray with or that um, are discouraged and probably one of the most common things is someone who's recently had someone who's died. I mean that's I would say that's probably the number one issue. I'm a dermatologist. We have a lot of patients that are young or quick or not necessarily super sick but a lot of them deal with cancer and things like that but it, the, I'd say the number one issue if someone's had someone who's died that's their those people are just open. They want to hear, they want to talk to somebody, they want to pray with somebody. And so it's been a great thing to have uh, Jerry there. We, we've run a number of, we've run programs, uh, particularly in the winter time. The summer we found it's a little difficult to get people to attend. 
Um, we run a number of different uh, health evangelism type seminars, and Jerry has uh, coordinated those. We've done those with our local church. We've done them in my office. Um, you know, I'd like to tell you that we've had hundreds and hundreds of baptisms, but we haven't. Um, it just it just doesn't work that way. Um, the we've had uh, one of our staff members who um, has gotten baptized, and a couple other people who've attended our seminars who have, but there's not a huge a huge number of baptisms. And I will say one of the things that um, uh, in working with some of the pastors, our local pastors and church conference people, I have, and you may run across this at times, you'll come up with the attitude of almost, well, why, why do a seminar on stressful living or depression or something? You're not getting a baptism. I've actually had a, one or two pastors who've maybe confronted me or asked me about that. Um, but, you know, I think my perspective, and I'm, I'm assuming that probably your perspective is, is we're really planting seeds here in our communities. And I, I really think that at some point, these are going to, going to grow to some type of fruition. I don't know exactly when, but um, I've heard people use the term friendship uh, evangelism or health evangelism, whatever you want to, you know, call it. Uh, I think there's really a place for that. And I think that it's a part uh, of, of evangelism that we as physicians particularly can help our churches to see and its importance. So, Thank you very uh, much. I'm sorry we couldn't uh, hear from or uh, see uh, Pastor Finneman. Um, I did talk to him and sent him an email on uh, um, presenting his side of the, the uh, equation. Um, our next speaker is one that I ha I'm not sure, uh, have we met before, um, Pastor McIntosh? I felt this would not be complete if we didn't have a pastor have a chance for rebuttal. Um, <laughs> but uh, in our church, we were looking for somebody who would assist us. We had five physicians. We had a church of about 80. Uh, well, no, when you came, it was what, 60 maybe? Yeah. Yeah, and it was six physicians. And uh, six physicians, not sick physicians. <laughs> but uh, we, had, uh, we had done all kinds of different uh, health outreaches, and we were looking for a pastor that we could partner with. And Pastor Don was an RN. He had never really pastored a church. And... So, uh, but he had just finished the, the seminary, and as uh, we were doing investigation, he was serving as a lay assistant pastor, and the people told us, do not ask him, because we want to keep him. And, uh, but our conference president interviewed him, and uh, came back and said that, uh, Russell Burrell told, uh, had put, and he showed us what Russell Burrell said, this is going to be one of the finest pastors of North America. And we were privileged in our church <laughs> to get Pastor Don McIntosh, and uh, Russell Burrell was right. Thank you very much, Dr. Mills, and it's nice to be with you, and good to hear what's happening. And you know there's a Amazing Facts website in Chinese, and we've had some people fly from China that have been baptized recently at our church. And we're looking for a physician, actually, to go do some church planting in China. 
um, and we need them to take their children with them while they're in school. <laughs> so if you uh, know anyone like that, if you'd like to sing from every poor, get in touch with us. I would just say in the church that, uh, that I was fortunate to be mentored by, um, it was a real blessing to come out as a young person. And that, that's, uh, it was a real blessing to be mentored by Dr. Mills' father and by Dr. Mills. And it was good that I, they got me right when they did. Because I would just say a principle sometimes of working with people is to find people that are maybe teachable. And then you can learn together and grow together as a congregation. Would you say that's true? Yeah. And we, uh, we grew together as a team, and we, we basically became family. If I would share four quick things with you, was first of all, and I really appreciated the first testimony, too, of, the, of uh, this physician that uh, really felt that cause. I kind of went into a situation where there were a bunch of physicians that wanted to work with me and on me. So, and have, and have God work through us. So that was a, uh, you know, that was a good situation. So I think, first of all, developing a committed team, and you've already said that. Deuteronomy says it as well. Moses said, you know, God said to Moses, go uh, uh, lead on before the people. And if you can find a group of people within your church that are committed to health evangelism and they live it already, um, that's a real benefit. And in our church, we had a small core like that. And there was some in the church that were resistant to, to health evangelism. But what happened was when the community came and began to respond and they heard the testimonies up front, um, then they started to get involved. And the entire church pretty much got involved. And when we first started out, the first we did all kinds of different programs. We tried everything from simple pollutions and dilutions and solutions to celebration, cerebration, mastication, articulation. And we tried all kinds of different seminars and then and and we did that with the we did that with uh, with a small group first and then we moved to a larger group. Um, and we focused in on several that we would want to be known for in the community. Uh, for us, we ended up using the CHIP program, and we made a commitment on our board to be committed to that for five years before we really said we're not going to do it anymore so we'd be successful. We wanted to make sure it was successful. In the first year, we kind of blew ourselves out of the water where we had three programs in one year, which are month-long programs. But the real, yeah, yeah, we did morning and evening, and they actually did one program because they wanted me to go through it, but they didn't tell me that till later. <laughs> it was at ten o'clock in the morning, and they wanted to get me really invested and divested of some habits, and so they they put me through the program, um, along with the hot and cold treatment. So <laughs> we went through that that program. Sorry, I'm. And um, as we went through that program, the amazing thing was, this was the first program, and this was the first program we did in CHIP, and there were 16 people in that program. And Dr. Mills is always an aggressive promoter of what he's involved in. He called up the television cameras, said, come on over, we're having a program. They came. 
they interviewed three people. I went home and told my wife. I said, honey, they interviewed three people. On, they're going to be in the night news. So we got on Channel 10. We turn it on. We're on Channel 10. And my wife just looks at me. As she goes, has it occurred to you that these people might not do very well on the program? <laughs> and like we instantly went down on our knees in prayer. But those three people had the best results. They had the best results. And the interesting thing we also found, and I think this is largely because of the family environment, I would just say to you, don't think big is really that big. Small is actually big. Because we had like 16 people in that program, and half of them ended up joining our church. Not right then, but within three years. I would say... Uh, that was very positive, and some of them are serving. You know, one of them's an instructor in the PA program at Union College, and others are other places. And these people, their their lives were just changed. So, number one, develop a committed team. Look at the Bible, Spirit of Prophecy, and then have fun, fellowship, and food together. That always helps. And then number two, focus on an effective program that works for you. It might be celebration. It might be something else. And then number three, develop a cycle of evangelism. Be deliberate in your church. Your health evangelism is not the, it's not the only thing. It's not, e it's not even nearly everything. It's the right arm, but there is a body. And if the right arm's just hanging out, it kind of could freak people out, especially, <laughs> especially tomorrow. So uh, try and have it organically connected uh, with the body. And I've said, I say that even more so now after working at Amazing Facts. And this is just not my amazing opinion because I've seen it. Um, and we've done health evangelism now in a four-month cycle at, uh, at Amazing Facts. And as it's part of a larger program of evangelism, it really does work. This particular program I just finished, we had 33% of the people who attended the health program that now went to the evangelistic meetings and uh, are going to be making decisions um, as well. I would say health evangelism is not just for non-Adventists. It's also for Adventists as well. And look at the program for the long haul. Let me share in my last minute eight S's which I could develop more fully if given more time at a future seminar in your area or even out of your area. Number one, have scientific excellence. Number two, couple that with sacrificial service. And number three, plan and teach people how to have significant interactions, which include number four, sharing their testimony. As that happens, people will begin to naturally ask, what's the connection between this and your church and your faith? And point them to number five, the source of authority, and have an idea about how to lead them on a sequence of a sequence through scripture that's fitting for them. And number eight, don't forget the seriousness of what you're involved in. Because when people come to your church, your job is not to just save them from death, but the second death. Your job is not to just teach them about life, but everlasting life. And there's nothing more wonderful than working with physicians. And I love what this man has said. I would love, even from the general conference level, that we would start maybe even piloting it, even an amen conference, a time where pastors and physicians can get together, a special forum 
where we can uh, see realized what I believe Testimonies Volume 9 is saying. One last exciting thing. Larry Carter, who's done evangelism megabook programs across the nation, we are serious this summer about getting out door-to-door -door and finding ways to help local churches fill up their health programs that couple mind, body, and spirit together. And when you have now these groups have knocked on over 11 million doors, the awesome power of youth coupled with the awesome power of truth and coupled with the awesome power of medicine and, and, and uh, you know, ministry. I think God's going to do powerful things. I know he will. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.